And now let's look at some other wonderful truths that our King has left for us to obey. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 11, and let's read that passage together. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take this speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask him? Amen. Thank you very much. Last week, we talked about worry, didn't we? And I know what some of you are worried about. You're worried that I'm going to ask you how you're doing with your worry, aren't you? So I'm going to do it anyway. So you go to the doctor sometimes, and they ask you, what's the pain that you're feeling? And they never go 1 to 10 anymore. They start with a sad face, and then they have kind of a less sad face, then they have a neutral face with a smile just straight across. Then you, you have just a small smile and then a big smile. Have you ever seen those? They're in the doctor's offices. You travel around the world. They have the buttons in bathrooms to say, how was our service? Sad or good? Well, let me ask you, how is your worry going? If it's going bad, and th there's no guilt here because we all said we're recovering worriers, said that last week, right, are recovering liars, one or the other. So how many are still struggling with worry? You're way over here. Just kind of raise your hand up or shake your, okay, okay. So we're still praying for you, working on it. How much are many of you are doing a little better with this? Raise your hand. Good. How many are, it's not good, it's not bad, but we're kind of in the middle of this whole thing. Raise your hand. How many are starting to get a little victory in this area of worry? Raise your hand. Good, raise it up. Something to celebrate, great. And how many are really doing well with worry, which means you don't have worry, and you're doing really well with it? Raise your hand. Fantastic, this is good. Well, last week, hundreds of you stood up when we were praying, and all of us are on the spectrum of worry. Now, the bad thing is we're gonna talk about another tough subject today. So just when you think, okay, let's talk about love your neighbor, something nice, no, we're going to talk about judging, and we're going to talk about judging, and why we judge, and who we should judge, and why we should judge, or should we judge. It's something very important, because people love to criticize, don't we? 
So I could actually go, how many have a critical spirit and how many are criticizers and how many are encouragers over here? But I won't do that today. So don't worry, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand on this. But what is Jesus really saying in this passage of judge not that you be not judged? This is kind of hard. And then he goes into this whole thing about you've got problems in your life and he uses kind of hyperbole talk and metaphor talk by saying you have a log in your eye and you're trying to get the speck out of somebody else's eye. Can we talk about that for just a minute? This week, the, one of the things I learned at the Global Leadership Summit, they were talking, one of the people were talking about self-narratives. In other words, what do you say about yourself? What do you think about yourself? And she gave three thoughts to this. I'd like to add a fourth because it exactly fits on how we judge. So the first one, and write these down because they're important. The first one is the concept that you feel that you are a hero, that your self-narrative is that you are a hero. You are the person that always comes through at the end. You're the most responsible one. You were the best kid in your family. You're the one who always did what you were told. You're the one that solves the problems. You are the hero of the story. And your self-narrative is, I'm the hero. Which is interesting because when you come to judging people, you're gonna judge them that you are better than they are. I am here because I'm the hero of this story and I'm gonna help you because I'm a hero. That is one narrative that you can have. Another narrative that you can have is that you are the healer, the healer. I have come to solve your problems. I see your problem, you have a problem with this, you have a problem with that, you have a problem with this. I am here as a healer. Now as we look at these two, we as Americans love the hero-healer narrative. We love this as a country, we go into countries and we're the heroes, we go into countries and think we can heal their problems, but we as families have this hero-healer mentality as well. We go in, I can heal your problems, and I'm a pastor, that's my job. I can heal your problems because I'm the hero. No, we need to understand that I too have specks and logs in my eyes as I'm trying to get the specks out of your eyes. Now the third one, the third self-narrative is this, victim. The victim, this is the negative side, all of them are actually negative to some extent, but victim. I am the victim. I am always the one who is crushed. Now, all of us have been victimized at one point or another. I'm not talking about being victimized. I remember uh, years ago when we first got married, Elizabeth and I first got married, my father-in-law gave me an heirloom watch, a watch that had been in his family and it had value to it and he gave it to me, kind of the first gift as father-in-law to son-in-law bringing me into the family type of gift. And so I would wear it only on special occasions. I was wearing it one day, it was October 31 to be exact, a few years back. That's Halloween, if you don't remember that. I was wearing it and so our kids were small and we had a couple kids and they were small and we were going to trick or treat. Don't send me emails, yes, we did go trick or treating. 
We didn't wear any goo, bad things or anything, but we, my kids loved candy and I loved meeting the neighbors, so we would go down the street. So I thought, I'm not wearing the watch because usually you throw a football and you're throwing balls and having fun and the last thing I wanted to do was to break the watch. So I took the watch off, put it on the bathroom vanity and we left. Locked the doors, went down the street, came back and the watch was gone. Gone. Couldn't figure it out because it's now nighttime, dark, can't figure it out, and then saw the bathroom window that had been very well taken out. So you couldn't see it taken out, and we were robbed, okay? They took a little, few costume jewelry things, and my watch, gone forever. They caught the guy two weeks later because he was doing this house to house all over Boca Raton. They caught him, but my watch was long gone. All he had were the things from last night, not the things from two weeks ago. I was victimized. But the question is, am I a victim? No, I am not. But some people feel they are a victim. Everything is against them. The world is against them. Their family's against them. That job they lost is against them. Everything is against them. And so that's a narrative. So when they come to judging, they're going to judge with a victim mentality. So you have the hero mentality, the healer mentality, the victim mentality, but here's the fourth one. There's a disciple mentality, a Christ-centered mentality. I don't care what word you put there. In fact, as I was going over my sermon with my family uh, yesterday, we were walking through the whole thing and talking about it and just kind of practicing on them. And they always ask, what are you going to do tomorrow, dad? And doing it. And I said, the fourth hero, or the fourth uh, self-narrative, rather, is Christ-centeredness. And they go, oh, it's a bad word. What do you mean Christ? Not a bad word, but how do you figure this out? Disciple. So whether you use the word disciple or Christ-centered, it's someone who is looking at what Christ would say about it. In other words, you come to a situation where there's a problem across the hall, and you come Christ-centered about it. This is... So important because of what Elizabeth said. You can come to someone with apathy or you can come to someone with empathy. Empathy is this. Empathy is I understand your problem and I'm here to help. That's empathy. Just understanding a problem is scholarship. You know, we... we, I, anybody can understand a problem. And just helping a problem without understanding is a problem in itself because we Americans love to help and there's a whole book written about when helping hurts. You can help somebody so much that it hurts them. So you have to understand the problem and what to do about it. That's empathy. And that's what we are called to do in a Christ-like way. She mentioned three things. And I want you to write them down. When you help someone, number one, when you talk to them, is it true? Is it true? Number two, and this is important because it could be true, but is it helpful? What you are doing, is it helpful? The Bible says in Ephesians, it says, speak the truth, is it true, in love, so that we might grow in Christ. 
See, speaking the truth is not the only thing. You gotta speak the truth in love. You gotta tell the truth and you have to do it so that it is helpful to that person. Whether they reject it or not is up to them. And then the third part of that, is it kind? And one of the themes that came out of this week and one of the themes that I think we are missing in this country is kindness. Big words like civility and compassion, but is it kind? Can I just tell you, if you act with truth and with helpfulness and with kindness in a situation where you're in a kind of a helping someone situation, what happens then? I think good things can happen. I believe they can see Christ in you as opposed to just seeing you in you. And why is this important? Here's what's important about this. So when my kids come to me when they were younger, they came to me and they said, Dad, can you help me? And of course, they were looking at me this big. Here's Dad. This is everything they know about Dad. Now, when they are younger, Dad is this big. I can do things they don't know about, right? So they would come to me or come to Elizabeth, who they thought had this much, but really has this much, correct? So they would come to us and say, Dad, can you do such and such? And I would say either yes or no, but let's assume it's yes. But I would be answering them out of this much, not out of this much. Do you see that? Now, when you come to God, you come to God, what's happening? You're coming to God thinking God is this big. This is my God. Oh, he's good. And he had Christ. And this is my God. But can I tell you, God is not this big. God is infinitely big. Do you see the difference? So you come to God, and what a beautiful thing. You come to Bill. You may know a lot about me. Elizabeth comes to me. She knows almost everything about me. But it's only this much. Maybe I have this much. We come to God, I don't care how much you know about God, when you come to God, he is infinite, he is much bigger. So when you ask him something, what's gonna happen? Is he gonna only answer you from this context that you know of him? Or is he gonna answer it from the context of himself? And when he answers it from the context of himself, you go, he didn't answer my prayer because you think of God this big and God has to answer his prayer from this context. And can I tell you, God is much bigger than that. So now when you judge people and people judge you, how are you judging them? Are you judging them from the context of you? Are you judging them from the context of God? And we have been given a sneak preview of who God is and the attributes of God. And God allows us to do things that we normally couldn't do because we are disciples of him. So it's not like you should never judge. There's other passages that say you should judge, but we should not judge from a hero complex, a healing complex, a victim complex. If you are going to help someone, let me use that word, You need to do it from a disciple mentality. And then you are truly, really helping them. The passage goes on. Let me turn the page. The passage goes on. 
and says, do not give, verse six, do not give to dogs what is holy or what is sacred. Boy, is that confusing. Or do not throw your pearls before pigs. That is one confusing thing. It's confusing to us because our view of dogs and the first century when this was written view of dogs is very different. When you think of a dog, what do you think of? Your dog or your friend's dog or Fluffy or Lassie or Rin Tin Tin or who, I don't know, whoever the dogs are, right? You think of that dog. But back then, dogs were mangy and dogs ran through the town and they were one of two things, either not fed enough so they just kind of laid in a corner or number two is they were in packs and they caused problems. That's what dogs were. I didn't get this until I married Elizabeth. Oh, please. <laughs> we went to her home in Jamaica and in her home in Jamaica that her father still owned, I mean, we'd only been married a couple months. They go, hey, we're going to Jamaica. We're going to stay at the home. So I got to sleep in her bedroom. Wow, that was fantastic. <laughs> Except it really wasn't because they had a wall. And those of you from the Caribbean and other parts of Africa and things, a lot of houses have walls around them, right? Okay, I get it. They call them fences, but they were walls. And then there is a no man's land, and it's literally a no man's land, and then there's a second wall around the property. And in between wall one and wall two are dogs. So if you jump over wall one, you are jumping into the dogs, and these are not the kind of dogs you want to jump into. These were not the dogs that came in the house and that you pet. I never met the dogs. I saw them at a distance penned up during the day, but these are pretty nasty, nasty dogs. And Jesus says, why would you give that which is sacred to the dogs? Now, he's not calling people dogs. This is a metaphor, hyperbole, whatever word you want to use here. But what he is saying is, realize, be careful that sometimes when you share the gospel, you share what I just talked about, it is going to be rejected. It's going to be utterly rejected. And there are times when you need to walk away I was not about to go and pet the dogs. There is a time to pet dogs, and there is a time not to pet dogs. There is a time to share Christ, and people go, oh, no, you always must share Christ. Let me tell you, there are times when maybe you shouldn't be doing that because the gospel is sacred and you're throwing it. He says this. I didn't say this. If you don't like what I'm saying, go after Jesus, because this is straight red letter out of the Bible, Jesus. And he says, don't throw your pearl before swines. Why did he say swines? Why didn't he say cats or mules or anything else? Because the swine, the pig, was just anathema against all that Judaism and all the Jewish people cared for. So be careful and realize that it will be rejected. You will be rejected from time to time. And can I just say about it, don't worry about it. Because God is in charge. And God is gonna tame who he wants to tame and God is gonna let wild who he wants to let wild. We have no control over it. But we have been given that which is sacred. And we need to share it. And we need to give it out. And this is what he says, he goes on. This is amazing. 
Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Verse 7, verse 8. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, opens. Wow. There's a paradox here. Now, Elizabeth talked about leader paradoxes. Um, There's also some others. There's paradoxes in the Bible. Jesus is known as a lion, and he's also known as a lamb. Well, that's a paradox. Is he the lion or is he the lamb? The Bible says we were chosen before the foundation of the earth, and then the Bible says freely choose which day you will serve, which God you will serve. There's a sense we've been chosen, freely choose. We have been created, and so we're dependent on God. We are creations, and we are independent from God. Go figure that one out. There are paradoxes in the Bible. And here's a paradox. Psalm chapter 46, verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Have you ever heard that verse? It actually means cease what you're doing, cease striving, sit down, be quiet, and know that I am God. That's one part. This part says, pray, seek, which is pursue, and knock. So which is it? Do we kind of let God and let go? Or do we knock until he answers the prayer? See the paradox here? The Bible's not easy. Well, it's both. Why? Because we don't get God. We don't fully understand God. God, as I said before, is much bigger than us. He's much greater than us. And there are times, my friends, when you gotta go, God, it's all in your hands. There is nothing I can do. I am just gonna be still and know that you are God. And there are other times when God has put something in your life and you've gotta deal with it, and what are you gonna do? You are gonna ask, you're gonna seek, and you're gonna knock. And can I tell you, God's gonna answer it. Now, God answers it not from the little puny idea you have of God. God is gonna answer it from his almighty omniscience which means you may not like the answer. We think the answer, I'm gonna ask him and it's a yes and no question. Will you give me this? Yes or no? Well, there's hundreds of other options to this that we don't even know about. Maybe later, maybe something else instead of that. Maybe you don't deserve that. Maybe that's gonna destroy you. Maybe you shouldn't do that. Maybe you should go somewhere else. There's all kinds of things you're not thinking about because you're only thinking in this big because you and I are this big and God is infinite. Do you see that? But he says, ask, seek. One of our values in this church is to pursue God. Pursue means to seek. The pursuit of God is good. Let's seek God. Let's knock and it will be open. But what God opens may not be the door you want opened. Please understand that. Why? He goes on to say this, and this is such a beautiful thing. Verse nine, or which one of you has a son or daughter who asks for bread and gives him a stone or asks for fish and gives him a serpent? Now we go right past that real quick. You remember where they were? 
Can I give you a little geography here? We're at the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is the second lowest lake in the world. Above it are hills. The hills go up to sea level. So we think the Galilean hills are mountains. No, they're just getting us back up to sea level. But they're, in one section, they're jagged, but mostly they're very pastoral and slow rising. And up in the northwest corner of Galilee, where they're at, this is where the breadbasket for Israel was. This is where they were growing the grains. This is beautiful land. I've been there. They're growing grains here, and they're sitting on the mount where they grow the grain, and it's probably in between either two pastures or it's maybe between seasons. They're sitting down in the middle of a grain field, and Jesus is talking to them. As he's talking to them in this grain field, he says, if your son or daughter asks you for bread, you're in a grain field. This is where you get bread from. They bake it. He's not gonna give you a stone. What a picture. And then he turns around. You can see it. I'm not making this up. He turns around, and there is the Sea of Galilee filled with fish. Everybody in that community and the communities around either worked the farms or worked the lake. They were an agrarian society. Now, a few people did carpentry and some other things, obviously, and sold the goods, but they either worked the land or worked the lake. He says, Anybody, if your child asks you for a fish, are they going to give you a snake? Why a snake? Well, snakes are the things, if you have never noticed, snakes are the things that live in the reeds around lakes, the water snakes. He says, I'm not going to give you a snake. I'm going to give you a fish. How much greater is your heavenly father going to give you? Your parents are going to give you bread. Your parents are going to give you fish. See, that's what we can give. We can give bread, we can give fish, but God is going to do much greater. And they're there, and they see it. It's such a beautiful thing. If then, those of you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things when you ask of him? Here's the problem when we pray. Our good things are only this big. God's good things are infinite. And God answers our prayers infinitely. Oh, he didn't answer my prayer. What he didn't answer is the way I want him to answer my prayer. So I go, he didn't answer my prayer. But he does because if you ask, he will answer. If you seek, you shall find. If you knock, it will be opened to you because God is much greater than us. So we go back to judging. Why shouldn't I judge? Because I am judging you from a perspective this big. I'm looking at you. That's all I get. I don't get anything over here. I don't get anything over here. Let God be the judge. I don't like these people because of what they do over here. Yeah, I always pick on these people, don't I? I like you guys, and I pick on these people. Well, because I have a perspective that's this big. God has a perspective that is this big. But God allows us, if we're a disciple of his, to every once in a while see it bigger than it is and see people 
as he wants them to be. And our goal, can we open our prayers deeper, stronger, more effectively, if I can use that word, bad word, but I think you know what I mean, to pray for people so that God will bless them, not the way I want them blessed, but the way he wants them blessed. What a prayer that is. God, would you bless this front row? Not the way I want to bless them, but the way you want to bless them. God, will you bless these people over here that I criticize all the time? Will you just do some, bless them? You know, and you know he's going to do it. He's absolutely going to do it. As we close, this summer, Elizabeth and I did a hiking trip on our vacation. I told you about that a few weeks ago. We love hiking, and so we went into the mountains to hike, but I figured out the valley hikes most of the time, so we're hiking somewhat easy. We're of the age that we shouldn't be mountain hiking, so we're doing it. Up there, there are three mountains in front of us where we were staying, and they're just huge. Their names are this, Iger, Munch, and Jungfrau. Some of the three most famous peaks in the world, if you know mountains. They're not as big as Everest and K2, but they're some of the most beautiful mountains, and they're together. There's Iger, there's Munch, and there's Jungfrau. And anywhere you were in that valley, all the places we were walking, you saw either Iger, Munch, or Jungfrau, or all three. Gorgeous mountains. Snow on them in the middle of June, everything. Grass underneath. We got above the tree line and saw them. It was gorgeous. I never knew what those names mean because those names are German. Iger means ogre. And as parents would teach their kids the stories of God, they would look and they would go, Iger, ogre, is the evil one. And Jungfrau, which is the tallest of the three, young means young, Frau means woman, young woman, a girl. There's an ogre chasing the girl. But in the middle is munch. Munch means monk, M-O-N-K. God, in this representation, is in between the evil that occurs and the young girl. And it's an amazing picture. And I'm up there, and there's a big you know, plaque describing it in German, French, and English. And I'm reading this, and it's a biblical story. The story that God cares enough about us that he became in between us and evil. Now, the problem and the reality is, is that we all have evil in us, don't we? So even if we got rid of all the evil in the world, the bad people in the world, and we put them away, there would still be evil in the world. Why? Because I'm evil, and I'm not here to judge you, but you're evil too. We're both evil. We have evil in us. So the monk, or in this case, cry, he can't separate us from evil, the evil one. Oh, he can do that, but they're still evil. That is the beauty of our story of Christ, that Christ came to break the evil in our own lives. Our lives are evil. Oh, we do good things. Yeah, we're good. We do a lot of good things. But there is evil in us. And Christ came not to separate us from evil, the evil one. Yes, we'd love that to happen. 
but to separate us from our own evil. Because the Bible says the wages, the results of this evil in us, which another word is sin, the results of sin is death. But the gift of God, which is Jesus Christ, will save us from that death and will cleanse us away from that evil. It's a beautiful picture. So when I come to you and I judge you and I point my finger at you and judge you, what am I doing? I am not allowing God to do the work that God is supposed to be doing. What I should be doing is asking, seeking, and knocking on your behalf. And if we begin to ask, seek, and knock on the behalf of people we don't like, much less people we do like, this world is going to change because God is going to show up and do things in this country, in this town, in this church, in my family, and in yours that is unbelievable because God is not this big. God is infinite. And once we start believing God is infinite and God can do things we can't do, things can happen. The problem with us right now in this country, in this community, and all that we do is we try to solve the problems with what we have. And we don't have enough to solve the problems of this world. Only God is. And God has called us through his son Jesus in this sermon on the mount, sitting on the side of Galilee 2,000 years ago, to ask, to seek, and to knock. And can we do that on behalf of other people? Or I can sit here and judge you all day. I can judge you, I can judge you, I can judge my wife, I can judge my kids. Oh, you guys, I'm going to judge you. I can sit here and point my finger and judge you all day. Or I can ask God to transform you. I can seek God on your behalf. I can knock to God and go, God, would you help these people? That's what this verse is saying and this passage is saying. So if we are to judge, I think if anything, we are to judge ourselves and take the log out of our eye before I take the speck out of your eye. Do you agree with that? Now, this is hard. We're not to worry. I'm worried about the world. I'm worried about the economy. I'm worried about deflation. I'm worried about this. I'm worried about the moral demise of our country. So what do I do? I judge the people who are running it. I judge them. I judge you. We got this silly election coming up. I'm judging them. All this thing going on. Or... I'm a child of the king. I'm not going to hero through this. I'm not going to heal through this. I'm definitely not going to be a victim through this. I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Maybe I need to be praying for those candidates. Maybe I need to be praying for our leaders and our economic leaders. Maybe I need to be praying for those companies that go in sideways right now with their morality. Maybe I need to be praying for the leaders of there because I bet you there are people in that company that you don't like that are followers of Jesus Christ that are trying to lead those leaders to Christ. And why don't we on their behalf ask, seek, and knock? That's what God has given. These are the tools God has given us. The tool Satan has given us is worry. The tool Satan has given us is judgment. These are the tools Satan has given us. You can use those tools, but that's not what God has called us to. Because we serve an infinite God, don't we? And a God who loves us so much that he sent his son to die on a cross on our behalf. The monk, the munch that is between our sin 
and us was taken away at the cross of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together.